podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. been a hell of a ride but the season's over and after the briefest hiatus it's time to assess the highs and the lows the successes and failures the sterlings and the johnsons as we begin the first of two season review podcasts on tonight's show a packed bunker is joined on the line by james owens as we examine liverpool's season and throw an eye towards the club's influence on the world cup before we begin through no fault of our own last sunday's event didn't really pan out Lessons have been learned, and when we go again, it'll be spectacular. But huge thanks to all who showed up on the day, lovely people, one and all. And also, massive thanks to our co-hosts, AI, who are a smashing bunch of lads. Right, let's begin with a look at the attack, and I suppose we have to start with the remarkable talent that is Luis Suarez. With the biggest stage of all approaching, just where does the Uruguayan rank in world football? And what were your highlights of the season from our number seven, um, Paul Brown? I'd say... Um Probably, probably the best striker around at the moment. I think, like we've said before, I think he's hit the kind of heights that Messi and Ronaldo have been at the past few years. Just the kind of consistency mm-hmm. and the the end product. And um, my, my best moment, it's not even one of his goals. Just the volley against Arsenal. Yeah. I, I still wish every day I think about that. And just wish it went in. <laughs> just I was unbelievable, like running away yeah. from the goal and hitting it that hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, obviously we we have to we have to keep him because he's he's basically one of the top three in the world now I think I think that's kind of it's gone from the top two being to a top three now I think Suarez is in there would you with, say with he's, he's firmly part yeah. of that trio yeah definitely and w- would that be your outstanding moment seriously now that the, the, the volume was there, or was there something else you um, could mention as well well I did the usual kind of where he's taking the mick out Norwich was good as well four goals yeah, that's always fun. so um, yeah but uh, mm-hmm. seriously I just wish that volley went in it's one of the best pieces of technique I've ever seen yeah yeah but, but yeah, realistically, Norwich realistically, <laughs> was yeah. the best moment. Okay, uh, James Owens, what about yourself? First of all, uh, where do you reckon he ranks in world football? And secondly, what were your uh, outstanding memories? Um, I'm hesitant to actually say uh, 
he's kind of in a top three with with the obvious two, Messi and Ronaldo. Actually, I mean, because of the fact, I mean, funnily enough, I mean, on on the last season score, Messi had a disrupted season and didn't sort of, you know, didn't necessarily hit the heights. And I think I think Suarez um, matched. And did, I think Suarez and Ronaldo, in terms of goal output, share the, the European Golden Boot, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they they get, yeah, but obviously Suarez doesn't have the benefit of taking penalties. Um, not that he's shown himself to be very good at them in his time at Liverpool so far. Um, but the, the 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 reason I'm a bit hesitant to say to put him at quite that level is just I was really quite disappointed with his performance, and maybe it was just part of a, a bigger picture of a general sort of dip in form towards the end of the season, which you can kind of forgive any player who's been at such amazing levels for most of a season. But I was really quite disappointed with his displays against City and against Chelsea. I mean, not just in output, but I mean, in terms of in discipline, you know, in general terms against City, given that he's improved a lot in that respect, and in, in, in tactical terms against Chelsea, where he kept coming short for the ball. And OK, that's symptomatic of the fact that the rest of the team didn't really help him that much. But, you know, I think to, to really, to put him at the, the same level as Ronaldo and certainly, you know, towards the same kind of bracket as Messi, for, for me, he's, he's, he's got to be a match winner against good opposition a bit more. He is a little bit of a flat track bully. I hate to say it, but I think he is a little bit. And, you know... He needs to, um, he, he, you know, he, he needs to kind of, he needs to come up with it a bit more at times when other players can't against good teams. But I mean, in terms of his highlights, it's funny actually because a lot of his, kind of on that theme, a lot of his best goals didn't really seem to come in the, the, the biggest games. They seemed to come in routes of weaker teams. I mean, Norwich is hard to argue with because it was basically a goal of the season competition. Mm. Now, I mean, for, like a lot of people would have said the, the dip in volley, but I would have said the one where he kind of emulates Gascoigne and lobs the defender and then volleys it in because as beautiful as the dip in volley was, and I, I love it, just a, an amazing long-range strike as much as anyone, you've got to get more difficult things right to score the, the third goal he scores that evening. I mean, the, the second goal is not a bad finish either, and then he scores an amazing free kick to finish it, which just felt a, a bit underwhelming by the time he scored it. <laughs> but, yeah, Norwich is a hard one to look I mean, probably lapping into his hands when, when he scored at Old Trafford, where he actually had a terrible game. He was in those knitted boots, he was awful at Old Trafford, but he ended up scoring a goal despite it. You know, the way he lapped into his hands then was, was quite funny. But um, Merseyside derby as well, you know, scored, scored a very good free kick. Um, but no, I mean, funnily enough, yeah, a lot of his goals kind of weren't necessarily in the biggest of games or at the most important of times actually strange fair enough fair enough Dave Thomas what would you think yourself in terms of uh, where would you rank him first of all and then what would be the highlights for you well I think if you're just judging him on the season he's just had mm. he's the best player in Europe yeah. so I think that you know he has scored the same number of goals as Ronaldo more assists in a far poorer, t- poorer team mm. and in a tougher league so for me if you're just going on the season he's he's the best player in Europe is he in that level, he has to do it more consistently and he has to do it in the Champions League and he has to do it, as James mentioned, against you know tougher opposition. Sure. Um, but judging it, he can only play against what he's got and you know to score 31 goals in, in, in that season, missing the games that he missed and even having the odd poor game you know, shows what a phenomenal season he had. In terms of, I mean, it's really hard to pick a Suarez moment. Uh, so I have a couple. I, I, I love the West Brom header. You know, where he's on the edge of the box and he puts the curl on it and it goes to the top corner. It's outrageous. It's a phenomenal goal. And I I tried to pick things that you probably wouldn't see him, you know, see see people do again. The my second one and is against Cardiff at home, where 
Henderson plays um, a back heel at the end of the box and he bends it around mm-hmm. the entire defence into yeah. the bottom corner. And the reason I like that goal is because Coutinho, who's Brazilian and has played for Inter Milan, just looks around and starts laughing like, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so I like people's reaction when he does, uh, when he just does amazing things like that and he just curls this ball into, into the bottom corner. And then my third moment is when, it's actually against Everton at home, the fourth goal, where... He picks the ball up on the halfway line mm. and there's no way he should score from there. Mm. There's just no way he should score from there. And he beats two Everton defenders for pace and scores with his left foot after running 50 yards. And again, I, I can't think of many players who score that goal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because you've either got the pace to beat the player, but you haven't got the control, or you've got the control, but you haven't got the pace. And this was, I think it was the 75th minute or something like that. Yeah. It was well into the game. Yeah. So, I mean, just so many moments. If I had to choose one, it would be the Cardiff goal. Just for, if, if you get to watch it, go back, because there is a camera angle, which for like two seconds just catches Coutinho after he does it. <laughs> and Coutinho's just shaking his head like, oh my yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. what did that man just do? You know, <laughs> you know on LFC TV, if you heard John Bradley's commentary on that, no. the ball drops him and Suarez hits it. And I mean, as soon as he hits it, Bradley just kind of goes, oh, dear. Do you know the funny thing is if you just if you listen to uh, Goal Rush on LFC TV and mm. just listen to Bradley's commentary during the entire season, it sounds like a porno. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically oh. Joe Bradley going, oh, oh my god, oh my god, he is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. The, the game against Norwich where he scores four goals. Bradley, by the fourth goal, doesn't know what to say. Yeah. He actually has just run out of things to say. I think he says, <laughs> he spent. I, I, I just don't even know what to say about this guy anymore. <laughs> uh, Phil, I, I have to say, I, I, I'd be inclined to agree with Dave about the, about the Everton goal. It was one of my highlights as well. I was trying to think, what was the goal where the guy was basically on the ground? I didn't get to do... Palace at home. That's yeah. outrageous as well. Palace is a really good shout out yeah. because I didn't realise he'd scored that. I was watching it on a crap stream. Sorry to cut in, but... Um, he just thought, I thought, you know, I think he tried to have a shot, then he slipped there and he thought, ah, oh, fuck, this one's come to nothing. And all of a sudden the ball's in the back. I know, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Phil, what would you say yourself? Not like me to be a bit contrarian, but my favourite goal is the one that was disallowed in the last day of the season. Ah, fair The outside of the right peg. Mm. Out, mm. The free kick, had that gone in, right? It was just outrageous. Mm. Like, he just sees it so quickly and he executes it with near perfection. The ball drops into the side netting. Like, you couldn't hit it more perfectly. And Kroll isn't even that far off his line. When you, when you, when you actually look at where the ball drops in and where Kroll is standing, he's not that far off his mm. line. And I was just there going... Eventually, when I saw it about two days later, I was just there going... Jesus, that would have been fucking masterful to see. I, I love the dip and volley against um, Norwich. I just love the, the execution, the distance out, the whole lot. And like, he has this knack of scoring massively long range goals. We're talking like a, he scored from the halfway line against Norwich as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the season before last. It, it, there's there's a litany of goals you can pick across the season. Suarez doesn't do many tap ins. There always there's always something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Even even in a tap in, he's he's bound to do a step over or something as yeah. the ball is coming across. There's always that little bit of extra showmanship that goes on the goals, and it's just phenomenal watching them. It makes you happy. It puts mm-hmm. a smile in your face. You can't you can't not but love to see more so than just the goals, but his his work rate. I've never seen a centre forward work as hard over 90 minutes in every single game that he can possibly play when he's not suspended. You know, he doesn't get injured, touch wood. Mm. Um, 
he doesn't ne- he never gives up and even when he's having it, something that James said you know he wasn't having a particularly good game that day he wasn't having a particularly good game but he still scored and it just felt like through the whole season no matter what was going on he still scored or he still assisted something or he yeah. still made something happen or you know you just look at him every time we look to go we were in the fire he did something that pulled us out of the fire and even coming back to that Cardiff game when we had to get back into it he's there fucking prompting and pulling and, and the whole lot mm. that's going on even against Crystal Palace when you saw him completely dejected at the end your heart broke for him as much as anything else because he'd put his his heart and his soul into that season I, I know some people say about the about the big teams thing right but we're only talking about City and Chelsea really because he did it against Arsenal this year he did it against United he did it against Chelsea I'm sorry not, he did it against Tottenham he did it against Everton you know and every year he's been getting that slightly bit better, slightly bit better, and, and knocking off those teams that he hadn't done it against in the previous season. And there's almost an element that he figures teams out in the off season when things are, you know, he goes back and looks at his videos in the game, really takes it in and absorbs. It. He, he 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 seems to me a student of the game, and that's what I what that's what I adore about him mostly because he learns. He's a street footballer in the way that he plays. He's a god of football in the way he executes everything that goes on. He's a leader on the pitch. He's a talisman for the team as much as any other player is in that team. And as much as our season was about a team, our team was was really led by Luis Suarez this season. And, and his maturity in terms of not getting involved in the things that got invo- that, that that had happened in previous seasons, keeping his discipline. You know, he used he picked up yellow cards, but avoided getting a suspension over yellow cards as well. Well, given given that pretty much eulogy that you've, you've just gone on there I don't think many people would argue with any of it and given that we can't judge him on Champions League because he hasn't played Champions League where do you think he is in terms of, 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 of ranking with this this kind of uh, question of where does he stand in, in the pecking order well he's fortunate I know we say look uh, this team isn't as good as blah 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 and it isn't as good as blah 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 but like, let's be honest about it this is one of the most potent attacking forces in Europe regardless of what you want to say mm-hmm. right? Um, and when I look at it, uh, uh, where does he stand? He has every right to stand alongside Messi and Ronaldo in the back of this season because what he did, he emulated those two players. And if it was any other player in Europe, if that was Marco Rouse doing it, we'd be eulogising about him. If it was, you know, look at Diego Costa, what he did for Atletico Madrid, and he didn't score as many, and that team won the league. He, he, Luis Suarez has done it in a team that finished runners up, has, has done it in a team that moved from seventh to second in the league. So he. And I said, he led the team. So he, he deserves to be there at this moment in time beside Ronaldo and Messi in terms of the influence he has on a league and the influence that he has on the team that he's playing in that league. Mm. And there's still more there ahead of him as well. And that, that for me, is why I'd put him with those two boys at this moment in time. The next step for him is consistency and replicating that because what Ronaldo and Messi have done is they've done it at that level season on season on season on season on season. Now, every one of us would probably say, oh, we don't expect him to score as many goals. But those two boys scored the same amount of goals the following season. Yeah. No, and, and that's <clears> what I'm saying. And <throat> there's no reason why we shouldn't expect them to do it. Yeah. Um, James, Phil's talking about us having one of the most potent attacks in Europe. And we, we certainly hope that's going to be proved next season. If it is going to be proved, Daniel Sturridge will be an important part of that. He's been possibly even a greater success story in terms of the performance standards, the goals, consistency when he has been fit. He's one that seems to have benefited from having a good relationship with Rodgers, the faith of the coach, the encouragement of the coach, the technical aspects that the coach has, has, has uh, added to his game. Do you think he can be the main man now for England? And how afraid are you that uh, poor uh, Roy is going to break him? <laughs> um, I mean, for England, yeah, I'm not not really that bothered about you know what he does for England as long as he you know as long as he doesn't get injured. Well, what you about know, for us next season then? 
I mean, in terms of us, um, I think if he kind of scores at the sort of rate he has for Liverpool so far, with Liverpool as a Champions League club, then he, he goes pretty high in that bracket of strikers that aren't quite as good as Suarez. I'm talking about kind of Cavani, Lewandowski, uh, Higuain, Falcao, Diego Costa. He goes pretty close to the top of that bracket if he does that in a season where Liverpool are in the Champions League. If he's scoring, I think he scores about three goals every four games, Sturridge. I mean, that's amazing. You know, for, for, for someone who's just an outstanding mere mortal rather than, a, you know, a mad genius like Suarez, um, that's, you know, that's, it's exceptional. And um, the, the, the thing with Sturridge, he came in and he did that in his first half season, but you thought, right, OK, that, that, he made a fantastic start. But you 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 wait you kind of waited to see whether he'd keep it up, but he you know he he kept it up and then some you know so uh, I don't really see any reason why he can't do it in Europe as well. But for sure, for sure, and given given that as you say, uh, he did kind of uh, surprise us all with his level of consistency, like we did with with Suarez. What what would be the the things that stood out for you about him this season? I think the thing with me for Sturridge, I mean, it's exemplified by the, the, the run of games where he scored, you know, eight goals in one game. I mean, I think, I think Sturridge in a, in a team which kept more clean sheets would be even more valuable because he, he's, he's that kind of player. He's not, you know, you, you, you get players in the Premier League. There's been players. I think Rooney's been one for a lot of his career. You know, Jermaine Defoe was always one as well, where they they might actually get a very respectable tally of goals every season. They might get around about 20 goals, but they tend to do it by scoring two one week, three the next, one the next week, and then doing nothing for a month. You know, Sturridge, ten, Sturridge tends to score about a goal a game. Yeah. He has the old game where he doesn't score. You know, it tends to be one goal every game. And if you've got like a sort of a steady feed of goals like that from a player, you know, who just kind of plays with that kind of metronomic consistency, and Sturridge does it against all opposition as well to a better degree than Suarez does, um, then, you know, I think it makes life a bit easier for, for every, you know, every, everywhere else in the team, really, because you know that if you, you know, you provide that, you provide that particular player with, I know three or four chances a game, and one or two are really good chances. He will score. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. And he, yeah, he, I mean, he's also capable of, of goals that, like Suarez, that he has really no right to score. It's not. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, this is the other thing. Is like you, it kind of gets overshadowed, and you just you almost just think of him outstanding functional striker. Whereas when you actually go back and think of some of the goals he scored this season, like the lob against West Brom, I can't even I can't even imagine most of the players in the world thinking to to, to attempt that there, let alone yeah. actually doing it. You know, yeah. doing it on the run, but with defenders still in front of him, it's absolutely crazy. And then you know, there are other goals you could say that. If you think of the goal he scored away at Villa, just the, the speed of feet and just uh, you know, storage. I mean, again, I couldn't really say it better than I, I said it that time when I was actually over recording, um, which is you know, Suarez is like a sort of a. You know, a self-taught genius like Jimi Hendrix and Sturridge is like a you know a world-class kind of classically trained, I don't know, Spanish guitarist or whatever. Everything he does is just so done with such finesse and such kind of apparent ease. But he he, do, he does do outrageous things as well. And he, again, he scores. He also scores a very good range of goals. He's even started scoring a few headers. You know, you think of the header he scored to equalise at Goodison. Yeah, that was a header. It was. But, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, Paul Paul Brown, uh, James makes a good point there. Uh, he is a, a very much a, a consistent player, but also capable of moments of, of genius as well. Yeah, the consistency, especially at the start of the season when when we had Suarez out, and he I think he, he won three games in a, on the bounce. Like it was yeah, a solitary storage yeah. goals. Like James said, it's just like a goal all the time. Yeah. There's a, there's not many like games he doesn't score and. And then, like, yeah, there's the kind of outrageous moments, like the Aston Villa kind of going, going across the defence, and then the West Brom like chipping a keeper who's on the line, yeah. like it's like it's that that's ridiculous. It's like um, he's almost like the other end of the spectrum to Suarez, where he's really consistent and does some 
like ri- ridiculous things whereas Suarez does ridiculous things all the time and probably isn't quite as consistent hmm. so having the two of them together is just why we score so many goals Like, hmm. yeah fair enough and what would be out of all of them your outstanding memory of, of what he's contributed this season I'd say in the, the individual moment would be the West Brom goal yeah. I don't think he, he can top that really but the the three like that, those are so important the three one nils hmm. at the start of the season because we weren't really we weren't firing. that fluent, like we weren't, yeah, exactly. We weren't firing, like, and and Sturridge kind of got us through it. So, yeah. I'd probably probably actually say the three one nils. Yeah, I, I think that's a bloody very good shout indeed. Phil, would you concur with that? That that's probably it was his outstanding contribution to keep us on track at the start. I think his whole season's contribution. I, I, I can't like if 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 you didn't have Luis Suarez, the the goal contribution alone from Daniel Sturridge over the course of the season would have had us in the running for a Champions League spot. Like you know, we're dealing with it in absolutes in terms of you know he does this and but he he was he's up there with being with the best. He's the second best striker in the league. Like the goals say it. His conversion rate is is for the amount of games he played and the goals he scored. He, he has a better conversion rate than Suarez had. I think he's twenty one point two percent against Suarez, which is seventeen percent. Right, um, and we bought a fella for what? What was it? Twelve million quid. Um, if you could sign a, a centre forward for twelve million quid in the summer and you can guarantee you twenty goals yeah. over. The amount of matches he played, and allow for the fact that Sturridge missed a fair chunk of games through injury, because he—that's he, his one flaw in, in his makeup—is that, like James said, he—he's—he's he's a prime racehorse. You know, like he, he can't—he's not the type who's going to run through an injury as Suarez can. Like it affects his game, and you can see towards the back end of the season when he was carrying the knock, he wasn't as potent and he wasn't as lethal as he was. It's—it's it's his one chink in his, his actual armor is—is is his consistent fitness level. But we know that once he's once he's fit, he's going to score goals, and mm-hmm. it's great to know that going into next season that you still have two consistent scorers in your side. Um, I know we're going to come on to Sterling next, and and rightfully so. But you can't talk about Sterling and uh, you can't talk about Sturridge and Suarez without talking about Sterling in terms of the seasons we had. Because if we think back to the first half of the season, you know we did eke out the first the first three games. We eke out one nil one nils. We weren't particularly brilliant in terms of what we did. We dropped silly points in, at certain stage. The second half of the season is near flawless in terms of execution. It's ridiculous when you look at when you look at the run of form. We had one loss in 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 the second half of the season. One loss. Mm. Right and two draws that were before we hit Crystal Palace. You go on a run of eleven wins, and it's 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 off the back of the goals that both Sturridge and, and Suarez had supplied. And when one wasn't doing it, wasn't on the top form, the other fellow was chipping in one or two goals in the game. It's it's fucking ridiculous. It's it, it, genuinely when when you look back at that sense, the the, the the two the, the output from both Sturridge and Suarez, it's ridiculous. And Sturridge should be talked about in the same same terms. And you talked about England going to the World Cup. You know, if they had a half a decent manager, Brendan Rodgers, they'd have half a decent chance over there because they have goals in their team. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Dave, that is that is something that, that we're hoping for, this level of consistency carrying through into next season as well from these two men. But talk to me about Daniel Sturridge in particular and what you thought his outstanding contributions were. Well, I, I think Sturridge is the best for, best striker we've had since Robbie Fowler, to well, be honest That's with a hell of a shout. I think... Uh, I think the numbers prove that. I think he's got absolutely everything mm. in his locker. Mm. Absolutely everything. There's two, you know, if you had two small flaws, one, he's never going to give you 45 games a season. You know, he's probably never going to give you 35 games a season, right? He's, he's that type of player that he he's so physically strong, so quick and relies on, you know, being such a supreme athlete that if he's, you know, two or three percent below that, it, it, has a, it has a real impact on his game. Um, but I think you know. I think there's there's everything to be excited about about Sturridge. You know, he, him and Sterling make me not worried about losing Suarez. Even though I don't think we should lose Suarez, and there's loads of reasons for that. But if we did, 
versus if we lost him last summer. Yeah. You know, I'm much more comfortable about where we are. I can't believe no one's mentioned the the, the derby goal, the yeah. the lob. I mean, yeah. for me, that's yeah. that's the best thing he did all season. Mm. I mean, the the West Brom goal is phenomenal. Mm. Uh, I actually watched it today, and I forgot he. I had actually forgot he done it because we <laughs> yeah. we did so many great things this season. I forgot that goal because Suarez scores. Uh, that's the the game he scores the header, and Suarez nutmegs Olsen on the way through and scores the first goal. And I forgot the Sturridge got the hump and went fuck you. Then let me show you what I can <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. And then he scores this goal. But the goal in the derby, when the ball comes over, he looks at Howard, looks at where he is on the pitch, hits it first time, scores, and then just stands there looking at the Everton fans with his arm around Suarez as if to say, yep, yeah. I just did that. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. that's the game. So that goal, that moment was was just phenomenal. He didn't do the dance. He just stood there and looked at the Everton fans. As, what, what was his quote afterwards? He said... Uh, Sometimes you've got to stand there and let them know what time it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Sometimes you've just got to look at it. Yeah, the only reason I didn't mention that, David, I just, I just didn't think of it, and I don't know why, because I was there as well. I was I was looking straight at it from the main stand that night, and it was just fucking outrageous. <laughs> Do you know that the worst thing is, right? That, uh, on Again, on LFC TV, I think it's Marketeer that's commentating. And the yeah. ball's in the net, and this is how fucking dumb Marketeer is. He's, he keeps going, chance, chance. chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's in the fucking net. <laughs> it's not a chance, it's in. I'm like, chance, chance, chance. <laughs> All right, let's look at the, the, the third member of the triumvirate, if you want to talk about it in that way. Phil mentioned Raheem Sterling a few minutes ago, and uh, no review of our attack would be complete without looking at this, uh, this man's uh, efforts over the course of the year. Um, in his press conference on Wednesday night, Rogers was at pains to point out how he was going to basically try and treat Jordan Ibe in the way that he treated Raheem Sterling, which is to play him deliberately in a, in a variety of positions to try and bring on his game intelligence. And I think that certainly worked uh, this season. You can see that maturity in his in his in his displays, um, and pace, and technique, and goals. How good do you think Sterling can get, James? I think he's probably the second best wide attacker in the Premier League already. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Eden Hazard is probably better, and that's probably about it. I couldn't. I couldn't. You know. On, well, look. On, we're talking on the strength of two thirds of a season here, because Sterling's only played two thirds of a season. But you know, he's nineteen. He's. You know, he wasn't in the team before December, really. I think he, did he start maybe one or two games, but. I, and he's not purely a wide attacker either because he's obviously he's shown and this is a remarkable thing for a player who kind of relies primarily on pace to be converted to play in, in the kind of the tip of a diamond or the sort of number 10 kind of area is that's quite something you wouldn't really have seen that coming with, with Sterling and it's a credit to Rodgers and it's a credit to him as well because he's you know he's a remarkably technically aware and intelligent player for his age but I mean as to how good he can become I mean I looked at, I looked at sort of Sterling and I looked at the way he played since coming back into the team as of about December and I said he can become a lad who can score 15 goals a season, this lad. Well, the, the amazing thing about that is, pro rata, he ended up doing that this season. I thought he might do it in, you know, by the time he was, say, 22. Yeah. But he ended up scoring nine goals. Now, if you, you extrapolate that for playing, I don't know, for, you know, for a 40-game season or something, and I think that would put him probably at about 15 goals or upwards. No. Now, you know, not every player who's, who is outstanding at 19 goes on and gets even better. So he might not get much better than he is, but again, he would still that would still have him as one of the very best sort of you know nominal wide attackers in the league. Uh, but I mean, as to how good he could become, I don't know really. Um, in, in terms of raw output, maybe he could end up being as good as a player like Suarez. I don't know. That, that's, that's a bold claim, but 
sky's the limit, really. Yeah, uh, because he's got he's got time to learn and time to improve. Whether whether you know whether he's quite close to his ceiling already or not, I don't know. But I mean, all I can say is he, he's he's probably and people are always had high hopes for him, but he's possibly already better than some people thought he was going to be. Because you know, you've got to remember, a lot of people were writing him off. So I mean, it's going to be exciting to watch. Put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Would you concur with that, Paul Brown? That there's basically no real ceiling on this kid because. Uh, he's already exceeded expectations and he looks comfortable doing it. Yeah, and he just looks like he's going to keep getting better. Like, for mm. that sort of improvement, it's only his second season and he only came into it kind of a th- maybe a third of the way through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was only just because of injuries or something, was it? Or because we needed to change the formation. But for him to improve that much, it's just been like, spectacular. And I, I think it's him that's... Uh, he, he's one of the biggest reasons that we really started firing because we were trying around, you know, the the three five two. I wasn't a fan of that, you know, trying to shoehorn... Um, Suarez and Sturridge up together. It was said. It was when Sterling came in and Rogers kind of said, "Well, he can he can play anywhere across the front and he can play behind them." It would then. It was then that we were able to kind of adapt our attack to every game. Like he just Rogers was able to tailor to, tailor it to whatever he wanted. Yeah. Like and he, he even he even did things like you know playing Sterling against Baines because he pins Baines back and he creates goals as well. Yeah. Like that in the home derby. So like I I, I just think he's absolutely brilliant. And again like. He seems to have the attitude that he wants to, like Rogers has said, he's one of the most tactically clued in players that he's kind of worked with already, like, which was kind of at odds with, you know, the the kind of the way he was being portrayed, that he was a, a wild child. And, yeah, you know, it's lazy bullshit, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you, like he was painted as being too big for his boots, really. Hmm. But he like, did just, he's just been absolutely brilliant. He just looks like he wants to keep learning. And sure. I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think there's a ceiling really for him. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with you, Dave. Would you say that that's fair enough as well? That basically, what we've seen from this kid is an incredible adaptability and intelligence about the, about his football. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. I was one. Of, I was wrong about Sterling. I mean, you mm. know, if you'd asked me a year ago, would he make it? I mean, I remember watching Jordan Ibe against QPR in the last game last season, mm. and I remember saying, I, Ibe's a better player than Sterling. Yeah. And, you know, we should be looking to move Sterling on or, you know, loan Sterling. And, you know, we were all talking, I can't be the only one who was talking about loaning Sterling to like a championship side or, you know, letting him get some games. But, I mean, this kid is phenomenal. I, I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Is there a better teenager right now in world football? Playing mm. than Raheem Sterling in terms of what this kid has done over the last four or no, five months. Dave, Dave, there isn't. There I mean, isn't. Yeah, there isn't. I, I mean, so. this kid. I mean, the. I think he's going to light up the World Cup because he's got pace, he's got power, he can score. His goal against Man City shows that he's got composure, he's got intelligence. His pass with the outside of the boot against Swansea for Sturridge's goal. I mean, just what a player this kid is. He could play anywhere. I mean, I, I, I can't remember who it was. Someone said recently, he's the best right back at the club. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, he's, yeah, yeah. he's that good, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could play him anywhere in the front six positions. I mean, even, you know, if we got in a jam, you could play him up front as a striker yeah. because he's got the pace. He can play off the shoulder. I mean, he's really, really exciting. I think that, you know, after saying all that, without wishing to lump too much on him, because I think that what we need actually for Sterling to really blossom is to have you know, more options around him, mm. you know, to be able to bring him in and out of the game. But, uh, I mean, he's phenomenal. I mean, really excited about what he's going to do next season. Really excited what will come of him now uh, in the World Cup and, and, and next year. Cool. Uh, Phil, I'm going to change tack slightly and bring you on to a far uh, less cheery subject. And that's the uh, the glorious trio of Iago Aspas, Victor Moses and Luis Alberto. <laughs> In fairness, I think you could use the word flop there without being too aggressive in your attitude. And it looks as if, does it not, 
uh, the lads are all goners. And it looks as if also that when we could have done with them to have a, a bit of quality and give us a bit of a dig out, uh, they were pretty much found wanting. What were their highlights <laughs> for you, Phil? Um, um, well, let's think of the highlights. There was Victor Moses' pass. <laughs> <laughs> Victor Moses. That's a season highlight for and me. And the miss. When I think the back, miss. the older oh, miss. Yeah. Oh, the miss against Crystal Palace. That moment where the ball drops. And it, I, when you look at that picture of that, that open goal, the goalkeeper lying beside it's the post. Dropping nicely onto a strong foot, empty net. And he air shots it. You can't help but think that he's on the take there. Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? You, you can't he, think. he could have won the derby for us as well, didn't he? From two yeah. yards out, headed it over the bar. Yeah. I'd, well, obviously, I'd like that. You'd blame his head for that, really, wouldn't you? But <laughs> <laughs> also, another thing was just quickly as well is um, Jordan Henderson had a, a heavy touch which led to him making the bad challenge that saw him get sent off against City. But Jordan Henderson been running around like a nutcase for 93 minutes by that yeah. point. Victor Moses had been on the pitch about 10 minutes and had a piss poor touch which led to him giving the ball away and it running through to Henderson. Yeah. And so there's just a litany of fucking examples of where he let us down by being shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Now, I, I, felt, I felt a bit sorry for Aspas in a way because he... You have a bit of Aspas love going on, don't you? What's that about? I saw him play for Celta Vigo a couple of times last year and I was impressed with him. He reminded me of a Suarez light in terms of he was aggressive and he was hard and he was mad running around the pitch, right? Yeah. And we never saw any of that playing light for Light is the word, though, isn't no, it? No, no, and it was like he was just bounced around the pitch. And the one thing that I, 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 you probably don't factor in when you're looking at these players is, you know, the lightweight thing. You think that most of them can withstand it. Because when you see the likes of Coutinho not getting pushed around and mm. you see Sterling learning how to use his body strength, you're imagining mm. that a guy coming in that that's a bit older a bit more wizened in his years in terms of dealing with harder tackles and stuff because let's be honest about it Lee isn't the fucking you know a, a, a game of touch football out there like the, the, the hard tackles go in over there as well but he was just bounced all over the pitch he never really fit in then you're looking at Moses and you're saying I, I, I couldn't make sense of the loan deal at the time I tried to pick the, the, the best part out and say yeah yeah you know bit of potential there did well under Rafa you know, you know the loan move might work for him um, he might be eager to, to impress a bit like the way Lukaku did at Everton Um <laughs> he was fucking horrific. <laughs> he was so horrific. And the amount of the games he played, I was there. You used to just pull your head out. I would have rather seen Tashero come on in loads of those games than, than Victor Moses. In fact, I would have rather we played with ten men at times instead of seeing Victor Moses. The, come shout, on. the shout was made during the, year. the, the <laughs> people. People. He was Melodian. If ever there was a word to describe a player, Victor Melodian. Victor Melodian. <laughs> people want to call him Pasco on the pitch ahead of him, and oh. I, I certainly would concur. Colin's already. He's tugged out. Oh, yeah. He's tugged out. He could just nip out. <laughs> and, I, he, and he genuinely looked like he didn't give a bollocks when he was on the pitch either. That was, that's, that's, that's the thing that gets me. Yeah. Like His Chelsea career was like, maybe maybe he was hanging on for, by a thread at best where like if he had a decent season with us, maybe they'd say, we'll keep you as a squad player. And he but like, he just does off. not care. You see, he managed to piss them off as well by uh, t- tanking <laughs> was it, Pepsi, Pepsi or something yeah. for the great day he had. <laughs> the day they were defeated in the Champions League. I see. He's he's just, mind you, I'd almost forgiven that miss against Crystal Palace <laughs> just for that. <laughs> no, Luis Alberto might be a bit harsh, but the guy came as a front three player, um, having played in Barca B, and he also played on the sort of a, a left hand side of, of, of a tree when he was at um, Seville before he went to Barca B, and he came with a big reputation. And we had to try convert him into a centre midfielder because he didn't look like he had the pace to make it in, in the actual Premiership and the way we had to play it now. You know, there's a lot of debate going on in terms of who's going to be in control of transfers. Will the committee have as much say? Will Rogers have as much have as much say? 
And what you wouldn't like to see is a knee jerk to say, well, we tried to sign these lads from Spain and it didn't work out, so we're, we're going to just buy all English players. You just want the best players. It doesn't matter where they come from. You just want the best players. You know, Alberto was always... like The, the bit that gets to me, and, and it's, a, it's a fair comment around stuff, is like, you look at Alberto and you say, we paid, what was it, eight million for him? Eight million for Alberto. Eight million for Alberto. Seven, yeah. And we paid six for Aspas. Six or seven for Aspas. Six or seven for Aspas, right? That's, you know, 14 million, let's say. And for 14 million, have we bought one player that would have contributed over those last five or six games? <coughs> Ericsson. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that is one that, that, that people are always saying to say that the, 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 whatever, for whatever reason it didn't happen. But like, you're looking at it, you just say, because given we just said it about Sturridge being a 12 million pound signing and being smart enough to get in, and Coutinho was an 8 million pound signing. And when you're outside the Champions League, you have to make a gamble on these 8 and 12 million players and hope to come through. But even then, I, th- I suppose there was a bit of a saying, well, you know, I'm not sure about this. For, for the money we're spending on Alberto, I'm not quite sure that like he's one for the future. But can you afford to be by buying in the situation that we're in, ones for the future? And I'd even say now, this season, we can even less afford to buy ones for the future mm. because the amount of games we're going to have to play... We're going to need players that can come straight in and be a first team player. Like it doesn't matter what your first eleven is going to be, because when you've got Champions League and you've got Premiership football and hopefully you've got cup runs as well, you're going to need more than 13, 14 players. And it even showed over a season where we did manage to come second to get that extra bit to, to the title. You needed more than fourteen players. Well, let, 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 just let that sink in for a minute. Let that season frame itself in your head with our three signings: Aspas, Moses, Alberto, all being utterly shit and useless. Uh, Sacco only playing a certain amount of games and us having let go the likes of Wisdom having let go the likes of Jack Robinson having let go the likes of Jordan Ivey where we had a little bit of death in youth what the hell how the hell did we manage that season because from what we've just talked about for the last half an hour the strike force that we had yeah that strike forward when you put a hundred, you put over a hundred goals up. It shows you you could afford. And we're going to talk about the defense now. You can afford to concede fifty goals because you put over a hundred goals on the board, and your strike force carries you. Now, if you add in another player that they brought in that would have brought ten goals to the mm-hmm. table in terms of an attacker, right? Then those extra ten goals could have been the difference in the end. You know, it could have been a four-three against Crystal Palace or a, a, a one-all against Chelsea. Just something different to bring from the bench to just to, to give us that attacking impetus back in games where maybe a little lagging behind. Similarly, you can go back to the draws, Villa game, maybe the West Brom game. You bring somebody on with sixty to go, and you, you get the goal back. That type of thing, and that's probably why we're still being linked with attackers as opposed to us thinking that it's going to be a massive influx of defenders over the course of the season because. You can never have enough goals in your team. Mm. And it's going to be hard to replicate 100 goals again unless we bring in fresh attacking impetus. I, I mean, just on the, the the three signings, I think that uh, parking Aspas for a minute because I think he never looked like you know that was going to work. I think there's a degree of logic around both Alberto and Moses. First of all, I don't think... I think he thinks he's getting another attacker in. You know, the likes... He pursued Mkhitaryan, he pursued Costa, he pursued William. So yeah. he thinks Alberto's down that pecking order I don't think Rodgers when he's planning the season is thinking Lewis Alberto's on my bench you know what I mean and I think that Moses then becomes not quite a panic signing but he becomes shit we gotta do something and all of a sudden you've got a bench of Aspas Alberto and uh, Moses whereas maybe in his head he's thinking well actually my bench should be Sterling Coutinho and Aspas or whoever it is I I, I think that the, the, the transfer window shouldn't be locked 
just in, ca- uh, in terms of who we signed or how they did. We've got to look at overall, did we sign enough for the right players? And we didn't. And therefore, that puts more pressure on the players we did sign. And what I'd say is we can't afford that mistake this summer. So I agree. I don't think we should have a knee-jerk reaction. But my view on this is if Rogers having more of a say, and I don't think he's, he's not going to get full control, means that we but if he has more of a say and it means we sign players that he trusts and is going to play i'd rather that than him getting players given to him by a committee that after two games he's never going to play yeah so if if to put it into context if michelle vorm or adam lalana is the price that we have to pay to make sure that the transfer business goes better and that we have more of a mix between roger's first choice and the committee's first choice then i'd rather pay that price than say no, we just sign these, and they are punts that the committee. You know, that I assume that the committee is identifying and saying, mm. "Okay, well, this is what we, this is who we're giving you, Brendan, make it work." Because he won't do that. He'll promote youth players, and then we've wasted more money. Fair enough. Um, well, let's talk about another shower of punts um, and move on to the defence. Uh, it is the biggest area of concern for most Liverpool supporters. Uh, is the full back area only John Flanagan really? a man who most of us considered cover at the start of the season, emerging with any real credit in that area over the course of the campaign as a whole. Enrique seems to be done at the club. Um, this seems to be an area which Rodgers must be thinking of uh, reinforcements, Paul. Yeah, well, it basically needs a kind of overhaul. Yeah. That, um, yeah, Enrique Johnson, well, you'd hope Johnson's out anyway. Um, Enrique, yeah, he looks like he's going. Agar seems to be done as well. Dave will be happy with that. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, well, like he's he's quoted today as saying that he's not playing second fiddle to anyone. Agar, yeah, in well, a in a, in a Danish newspaper. So it's he's 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 in Holland with well, sorry, in Holland. <laughs> he's in Holland and Denmark. He's in Holland and <laughs> uh, <laughs> Denmark land. Copen Netherlands. <laughs> and, yeah, well, you, so you think overhaul is the word for you? I'd say so. Yeah, because um, Sacco really Sacco's basically the only defender who I would really kind of look at and say I really hope he has a future with us because I'm still not convinced by Skirtle at all and um, yeah Agar I like him better than Skirtle but Rogers does seem to like he doesn't seem he seems to prefer Sacco over him mm. and won't play them together so uh, when you put that together with the two fullbacks I, I would say that we do need an overhaul mm, yeah and in terms of how they did this season would it not be fair to say that Skirtle it, it's it's hard enough to 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 make too little of of his contribution. He was pretty awesome. I thought he had a good back end of the season from yeah. maybe February onwards. I thought he came in against United and played well. To be honest, I thought he spoofed his way through a lot of the rest of the season until then. Like I know people seem to think like because he he did play well the last few months, and I think people kind of glossed over some of the shammy performances out of him like earlier on in the season a lot of the first half of the season and the issues we had in the first half of the season have been forgotten because the second half of the season was so good yeah yeah. straight up I, I'm, I'm thinking you know you, you look back to the madness of Hall away you look back to the idiocy at Newcastle where we couldn't defend deep balls to back, to back poses. Mm. Back poses? <laughs> back poses. Poses. <laughs> even, even stuff like Swansea at home, like everything yeah. Skirtle touched turned to absolute muck. But it, it didn't matter because we won the game. Yeah. But like if you're telling me like we're going into next season with him 
in the Saturn 11. Are, are you, I'm still nervous. Are then. you saying that he's a key contributor to that mayhem? That, that, that feeling that we all have as supporters that fuck, this could just go so yeah, bad. Yeah, definitely. I like, what, what age is he? He's like 28 or 29, 20 isn't he? 2400. It's not improving now. Yeah, like no. I, don't, I don't think he's just suddenly going to start. Like I, no. I don't think he's had maybe Kenny's full season. I think he was quite good that season. Other than that, he's never put a full full season in, Like I think, of mm-hmm. good form. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see how he's going to suddenly start doing it now. Like when I, a good compare, I think Torre had, you know, a decent start to the season and then started making errors he was taking out of the team. Skirtle was the other way. He was making errors at the start and he was good at the end. And I think, like, it, people have kind of looked at, like, the kind of, oh, Torre was shit at the end and Skirtle was deadly. So Skirtle's had a great season and Torre was crap. Like, I think they were fairly similar, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know people, people love saying, like, because Torre's, Torre's stuff was, like, real slapstick stuff. Like, you know, the, the West Brom pass and all. But like I, I don't I don't think he was that much worse than Skirtle overall. I just think Skirtle had a really strong finish this season, and that was it. Well, fair enough, Dave. Uh, as a unit, what did you make of our defence this season? Well, I don't think we had a defensive unit for the vast majority of the season. You know, I think this this is part of the problem is mm. that we we actually haven't had, you know, a settled back four, and I, I think that what we lack. I see, it's really difficult to assess our defence. I think that, you know, if you take them individually, Aga, Sacco and Skirtle are all good players, mm. right? I mean, you don't play in a team that just finished second if you're not a good player. You can argue about whether they're the best we can get or whatever. You yeah. can argue about that. But they're, they're decent players. They were, you know, they've been signed by and played for top managers, you know, signed by Rafa, played by Rafa, Kenny, Steve Clark. Rogers all played these guys, right? Hodgson, all, you know, all thought these guys <laughs> had something about them. So, I think that I had two observations I'd make. Firstly, we are terrible at fullback, and I think that in our system, you've got to have. We expect a lot out of fullbacks, right? And if you've got Sissoko or Enrique or Johnson and these guys, they just can't do both ends of that that job. And there's not a lot of people who can, but you know, we can't do both ends of that. My second thought is that you've got to, your partnership has got to work. And I don't think we have, out of those three, there isn't a partnership that works. Mm. I think if you say, if we were going into next season and Roger said, Skirtle's my man, he's my man, and I'm going to build a defence around what he's good at and what he's not good at. It won't suit the way we play. No, 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 but wait a minute, right? But wait a minute. What, what I'm saying is that you, well, it suited the way we played all season, so he's played all season. What I'm saying is that... Well, we what, can see the 50 goals. My argument with Skirtle Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I haven't finished yet. My point is <laughs> that you, what he, Rogers has done is put this, two it's, it's madness. together. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Skirtle into the I'm not, finish, I'm not advocating that. Hang it's on just a madness. Second. Hang on a sec. You're, you're trying to build a defence around Skirtle. Get the gag out. Pull it and fill okay, let me change. <laughs> let me change the example because you're not listening to me. My point is... I am listening. It's just madness. <laughs> my point... So let's say he decides to pick Sacco then, right? Perfect. Right. <laughs> he then has to go and buy someone that can play with Sacco. Which he seems to be doing. Uh, can I get a sentence out? Well, probably <laughs> right? not by looks. So he has to go and buy. So what what we've had this season is three good centre halves, that none of them can play with each other, because none of their styles work in our system, in the system that we're looking to play, right? So what he's got to do is he's got to choose who his number one is. I think it'll be Sarko because of the money we've spent and because he's got the perhaps the caliber that the other two don't have. And then you've got to say, well, what do I need around Sarko? 
Mm. That Sacco's a proactive defender. He's not the loudest, so we need someone next to him, perhaps who's going to be a little calmer. We need someone next to him who's going to sweep up behind him because he tends to come out. We need fullbacks that are going to be able to take the ball off him because he's not a dribbler. He likes to pass, but he's not a dribbler. We haven't had that all season. So, reflecting on our centre halves, what I think we got is we've got defenders who individually are okay. But when you start lumping them together, they're not great. And then the second problem you've got is they all lack concentration. They, they've all got concentration issues. Because you can't tell me that this side, this defence, I was watching the game today, we beat Arsenal 5-1 with Colo Toure playing. Mm. Right? And everyone says he's the worst defender. You know, he's muck. Mm. So it's not about ability. It's about concentration. In the big games, if you look at the goals we've conceded in the big games, Concede a tiny, you know, a tiny number of goals mm. in our, against the top sides, and then we go and concede three to Cardiff, and we concede three to Crystal Palace, and we concede two at Newcastle, and three at Swansea, and we concede all these goals. That's that's a concentration issue. That's not an ability issue. So, for me, he's got to get people in there who can concentrate over a forty-game season and who complement each other. And I don't think we've had that. The season. lads at Sky are already shitting themselves at the thoughts of you making uh, Sacco the key part of the defence because they all written them off as now, inverted commas dodgy let, oh, right, let me come in because the point that Dave makes is what I agree with I just don't agree with Martin Skirtle if we look well, I'm not the, saying it should be no, scored I'm, I'm just I'm, yeah. oh, let me let me get, can I speak <laughs> <laughs> can you listen no <laughs> the reason why I said no to Skirtle was Skirtle to me is a Robert Hoot or a Gary Cahill or a Jag Yelka in that he's a 18 yard line defender and he's very good at doing that deep line defending and this is what the lads at Sky you were saying keep going on the lad, they drop deep they were dropping deep he naturally wants to defend on the 18 yard box and when Rafa bought him that was the way he used to set his team up he liked to be compact he liked to be deep and he'd play on the counter when he was playing in away games right we have a style issue I thought what Dave is saying hits on about the Colo Torre thing I think Torre likes to play in the front foot but his issues are probably age and pace in terms of what he has now right Agar always gave the impression that he likes to play in the front foot but I think Agar prefers to defend the 18 yard box as well and that's why him and Skirt were always seen as a partnership in terms of what it was but I don't think this, this team the way it plays the way it wants to move up the pitch and the way, the way it has to play can defend the 18 yard box because purely if our, if our full backs have pushed on so far up the pitch our, def- our, our centre backs cannot afford to sit on the 18 yard box and, and, and stretch the actual pitch because it means that the likes of Gerard and, and the rest of the midfielders get exposed in terms of the distance that they have to cover when things break down through transition Sacco to me seemed to get caught in two stools and he was playing alongside Skirtle who wanted to play relatively deep and he was, he was playing against his natural game which if you remember back to the first games that Sacco came in he was on the front foot he wanted to press high the, pit, the, the defence were coming up with him and yes, that's why I think when we're being linked with defenders, the defenders that we're being linked with seem to be defenders that have play that play this front foot aggressive style of centre back and not eighteen yard defenders as such. Going back to air defence, air defence was a mismatch, and that's that that was my point on it, right? It, it's a mismatch of players. We've got players that have ne- haven't been informed for months in Glenn Johnson, right? And we haven't mentioned him, but the, he he was diabolical for 75% of that season. Like that Crystal Palace match, three of those goals he's culpable for, right? That, that game alone. You take Glenn Johnson out and play with 10 men, there's probably a chance we come out there with a win. right? The fella just stank to fucking high heaven come the end of the season. Is this what you meant when you wrote on the piece of paper here? Keep it general. Well, I'm going... (laughs) Yeah, but uh, but we're talking about how does this defence get better. Mm. Defence gets better by being a unit. Okay, well, hang on a second. There is a a decent point that Dave's making there. If we're going to move forward, and if we're going to move forward, 
I think what what Dave's saying is right. Rogers is going to have to pick an anchor, yeah, and he's going to have exactly. to build around that. Now, if we take it that Sacco is likely to be the anchor, perhaps he's not. Maybe it is going to be Skirtle, whether you like it or I like it or Dave likes it or not. So, but I think if you if you build it just 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 uh, if you build it around Skirtle, right? Mm. The issues that we have this season don't go away. Don't go yeah, away, no, and it's the same as if you keep Johnson in that in that team. The issues don't go away. Well, it goes away, but he has to change everything. If yeah. he if yeah. he anchors, and this is my point, I think that what we haven't done, to your point, it's been a mismatch all season mm-hmm. because Rogers has a system that says, here's how we're going to play, and he's got defenders that, that that are conflicted in terms of playing that system. So I've got, you know, I've got no problem with it being Sacco. I'm not, I'm not advocating Skirtle. No, I think, no, I, I think Skirtle's a big moments defender. He has big moments. Mm. He'll win a big header. He'll mm. make a covering tackle. He'll mm. score a goal. And that's what creates the impression then that actually he's, he's a good defender. And he has his moments. But he belongs in a different team. He belongs in a Rafa Benitez team. Mm-hmm. He doesn't belong in a Brendan Rodgers team. Sacco belongs in a Brendan Rodgers team. And actually, I think we'll see more from him next season. Mm-hmm. And that's why Lovren or Corker or someone who's used to playing with the ball at their feet mm-hmm. covering another proactive defender, you know, regardless of the name of who we buy, it's got to be someone who can yep. play in the next room. I'd love to see a Laurie get a game because a Laurie is quick enough yep. to mm-hmm. cover yep. uh, the likes of Sacco in a proactive team. So hopefully we'll see that next season as well. James, uh, one of the features that... Uh, popped up a couple of times over the course of the season was this idea of us moving to a three at the back what were your feelings on that and how did you enjoy watching that or was it something that you'd be just as happy to walk away from I think, I think systems always depend on the players you've got and who's available and, and who you play and I think at the time we, we'd suddenly got this influx of centre-backs you know um, after, after the end of the t- after the end of the, the summer window and after we, we, we beat Man United at the end of that window and Skirtle came into the team, suddenly you got Torrey who had made a great start to his Liverpool career and was probably quite important in terms of leadership and, and being vocal, particularly when you've got a you know a new goalkeeper in there. You've got Skirtle who would have been hard to drop after he'd come in and done so well against United. And then you've got Mamadou Sacco just coming in who cost about £17 million. So as much as anything, I think at the time it was possibly a way not to say it's as trivial a decision as this as this could sound like I'm saying it is, but it was possibly a way to get kind of certain players onto the pitch, um, particularly because at the time, you know, Sterling, who was then purely a wide player, wasn't really in the picture, and because it was very close to Suarez coming back and being available again, and it's a system which, you know, in the way we played it, allows us to play with two strikers. I mean, and I thought at the time. We could eventually see us move to something like a four-three-one-two or a, you know a, a diamond, if you like. Not that there's a vast difference between the two, and that's in the end what we did see because it has the same benefits in terms of allowing you to get two, you know both strikers on the pitch, but with a, a back four which is maybe a more conventional kind of plan A in terms of your defensive structure. But I mean, it's hard to say really because I think players' form and our overall sort of form and style at the time we really played that system was different. I mean, we used it sporadically since you know we switched to it not that it got noticed much at the time but we switched to it against Villa in the home draw um, and then you know we obviously did it against Chelsea so we didn't really do it with a great deal of success but I mean I, I don't know I mean you know s- systems themselves in terms of like you know numbers and f- configurations I, I, don't, I don't really I don't, I, I don't know if I really put that much store by them so much as kind of like you know in isolation I don't think they mean that much I think it's more it's more a question of kind of you know who what you know? Who, whose strengths do they play to, and how do they kind of get the best out of the players that are uh, available? Like I say, I think at the time it was probably a, 
it was probably a way of just you know kind of get, getting three players on the pitch. It was hard to drop as much as anything else, perhaps. Yeah, that's fair enough, and there's no doubt that Rodgers has that kind of utilitarian side to him um, when it comes to the personnel at, at, at his disposal at any given time. Paul, is it something that, that, that you liked seeing the, the, the three at the back? Is it, is, it, is it something that you wouldn't mind seeing popping up on occasion next season? Um, it depends who we sign, really. We we, yeah. we we need fullbacks for like proper fullbacks because exactly it, like it puts a lot of onus on them to get up and down and you know be kind of creative out wide and get involved. And I don't think we could do that. And I, I think I don't think our midfield either. Like would, they looked confused as to what to do when you know the wing backs had the ball. Mm. And it, just in general, I just thought it was like James said. It was kind of let's try and get Suarez and Sturridge together on, on the pitch up front in their positions and we've got some centre-backs who are playing well so let's just get put loads of centre-backs in as well <laughs> yeah, so we give this a go yeah. and I think we, we've got a couple of kind of results out of it but I, with the current players we have no, I don't want to see it again no. I think we'd need quite a bit of an impro- improvement <laughs> and I think as as well when we were playing that we had the kind of Lucas and Gerrard in midfield mm. going on which obviously now I think even Rogers knows doesn't really work um, when they're playing really close together. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, we, I think we'd have to improve a lot of areas for me to be happy to see it again, Fair basically. Enough. Fair enough. Well, look, we're going to do plenty of talking over the summer about who we'd like to see coming in. We'll be doing plenty of specials and targets and all the rest of it. So we'll leave that for now. Uh, okay, we we can't really finish uh, without talking about John Flanagan, uh, who I said at the outset, to be fair, was probably the outstanding uh, contributor to that defence in terms of taking us by surprise, if nothing else, uh, and consistency when he did get in. Phil, he looks like a kid who could really uh, have a future at the the club. I think he's definitely uh, made himself a standout member for the squad next season. Whether he's their first choice left back because it looks like we're going after targets who would fit the natural mould for an attacking left full. But in terms of what he brings to the table, unlike Johnson and unlike Enrique, his solidity in defence, and I know we get the stats that he's the most run-past defender and stuff like that, but you're never worried about him um, you know, not putting 100% in, not doing the right things when, he has, when he's on the ball. Um, occasionally, he, yeah, he, he, had, he made mistakes, but they're, they're acceptable mistakes in terms of what goes on. It's not repetitive. It's not game after game. It's not fundamental errors in the way he plays the game. They're just natural errors that occur in the course of a match. And to think that this guy was in Rodgers' own word, couldn't get a team to go on loan to at the start of yeah. last season. Mm-hmm. To see where he's gone from, because I remember when he broke through under Kenny and everyone was saying, oh God, look at this fellow, you know. his He reminds me so much of Carragher in terms of the character and the heart that he plays with, right? And even the style of the game, he loves that last-ditch tackle. He loves putting blood and thunder into, in, into the way he plays the game. And I remember so many times in the second half of the season when he'd go through somebody, you know, at important moments when a team was getting back into a game or something and he'd go through a player, no fairly, but go through and let them know he was there. And even down to, you know, he just he just embodied everything that was good about the squad over the course. And of let's the have it right as well. Let's have it right. He has a bit of technique about him. The guy carried the ball quite supremely out of defence mm. in the left back slot. He often likes to cut in and go past whoever, whoever the wide man that's cutting him off is. And he's confident in possession. For me, and I'll, I'll leave it to the rest of the lads on this then, but the quintessential um, John Flanagan moment, apart from the goal, when he gets a semi in, in, in White Hart Lane, and, and who wouldn't when you score that one, right? <laughs> but the, the, the Cruyff turn. Oh, magic. In Anfield. Against Spurs again. He yeah. fucking loves playing against Spurs. Yeah. But and the Cruyff turn yeah. with about 90 Spurs players around him, yeah. and then he just opens up space, and he eventually, he comes up with the assist for Coutinho, because he plays the ball into him, Coutinho goes on yeah. and scores the goal. But 
had you told me that at the start of the season <laughs> that somebody's going to play a ball out to John Flanagan, he's going to do a Cruyff turn on the fucking byline, yeah. take himself into space and set up an assist for Coutinho, I would have pissed myself laughing. Yeah, at, I think in, most in people show. would, in fairness. Yeah. We, 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 Dave, he's a, he's a guy who has surpassed expectations. And like I said, let's not be condescending. He's a proper footballer. Well, I think Flanagan has a, you know, a couple of really important uh, roles this season. The first is a, is a very practical one, which is he's come in at left back when we didn't have a left back, and he's done a great job. Mm. I mean, John Flanagan's left back for the eleven games we win. You know, so you know, again, can't argue that. You can't argue you with can't that, right? Argue, uh, the second thing is more of a, a symbolical thing, right? Which is he is the link between the youth system and the and the main system. If John Flanagan doesn't come in and do well in this team, Teixeira never gets a game. You know what I mean? Or whoever comes in next season is not going to get a game because I think that when Rogers saw Flanagan versus Sissoko and he went, and he's always said, young players will run through brick, brick walls for you. Mm. And Flanagan ran through brick walls. And my favourite John Flanagan moment is also against Tottenham. And it's when he went through Roberto Soldado <laughs> as if Soldado was a fucking Domino's pizza in front of the manager of the day. <laughs> he fucking enveloped this guy and got up and my favourite bit is he doesn't even look at him no. he just gets up and goes hey, fuck off right I'm yeah. off there now what What? What do you mean ref what that's not a foul that's yeah. not a foul yeah. like you know yeah. he cleans the guy out I'd say Soldado now is still having nightmares about this big good scouse guy which has kicked the shit out of him <laughs> and let me leave you with this point John Flanagan is Glenn Johnson's hamstring away from playing in a World Cup <laughs> that's where he's at right now that's, that's a nice way to end it I think okay Right, let's move it on then to our listeners' questions. And the first one up is from Degsy, and Degsy wants to know, what is the best 1980s film soundtrack? I think there was a wee chat on Twitter during the week with a certain uh, Damo Flood. I think he had a, a few opinions on this. But I'm going to throw it out there to anybody. The best 1980s film soundtrack, what was it? It's fucking, there's many of them. There's, there's, there's so many contenders for that. Like. Go on, you, you'd be a flash dance man, would you? Oh, you can't beat a bit of flash dance. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you've, you've, you've got like the, the quintessential Scarface. Push it to the limit. Oh, Christ. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the club. Jesus. Wept. Okay, right. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. And the one that kicked it off, obviously, was Top Gun. Top Gun, yeah. That's yeah, what I was going to think. That was 80s, was it? I was, I was just wondering if it was 80s or 90s. Oh, so. look at the young lad. Before my time. I've got a shout. I've got a shout here. Rocky Four, Just purely for uh, No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's a lot of good yeah. songs on there. I mean, there's, there's um, Hearts on Fire is a good song. There's obviously Living in America by uh, by the Godfather of Soul, James Brown. God rest him. Um but Robert Tapper actually followed me on Twitter after a while because I kept mentioning like how I was listening to no easy. <laughs> I think he might, I think he might still follow me, and then I followed him back, and then I followed him, so I feel a bit bad. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably won't hit wonder, but it's a great song. Well, I, I mean, Dave. the answer in terms of soundtrack, not film, is Dirty Dancing because it has um, Sam Cooke, Love Man, on it. It has. Uh, Lord of a Thousand Dances. It has um, okay. It has some of the soppy ones. It as has well. Patrick Swayze. It has Patrick Swayze. <laughs> but if you if you like soul music, Dirty Dancing soundtrack is actually very good. Fair play, fair play. Okay. The, the one thing I'll say about eighties movies and cool. the great thing about the soundtracks is you can almost remember the films by the songs. You can mm. like I can't think of modern films where I remember the song. Like if if a song comes on the radio, I go. That was Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Mm. That was, you know, that's Top Gun. That's yeah. you know, straight away. You automatically are able to associate films from the eighties. That's actually a good show. You the don't really get soundtracks anymore. Do you? The only thing I can think of at the end of Heat, there's a Moby tune. 
where uh, Alan and, 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 yeah. and Robert De Niro Tarantino does soundtracks and, uh, yeah, yeah. Tarantino, Tarantino, yeah. Tarantino does yeah, 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 yeah. But, but yeah, apart from him I, yeah you're right I can't think of a single movie recently where you're going geez that song was fucking great yeah, yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. or that it brings back the, like, the, the songs that come out of the movies now are like generally orchestrated works that are just you know for, for the, the emotion and stuff that's going through maybe Frozen Oh, here we go again. Oh, for fuck's sake. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. Uh, fine, our next one is from Jim, uh, Jimmy Henry. And Jimmy wants to know if you can give a description of her uh, for all our UK-based and elsewhere-based followers who will be able to soon follow the football and Sky GAA. So if you were to sum up Gaelic football or hurling, you can choose either. In a sentence or two, Paul Brown, how would you, how would you do it? Gaelic football is kind of like if Stoke were allowed to pick up the ball. <laughs> just keep lumping it up the field like if there was two Stoke teams that were allowed well not not the current Stoke team obviously last year the two Tony Pulis teams that were allowed to pick up the ball and kill each other and all this stuff that's what that is just percentage like rubbish um, and hurl, hurling is just that with sticks and basically just some more GBH thrown Jesus in Jesus what that is so, fucking terrible have we got anyone to defend the honour GA because I'll do it if you want well, well hurling is better than football I mean hurling probably is, yeah a tiny bit isn't it the fastest land game apparently. in the world apparently land game is, is, that, a, is that not a cheetah it's a land game what's that <laughs> <laughs> I mean football don't watch football don't watch football on Sky watch hurling if you're going to watch the GAA watch hurling watch hurling because at least you'll get scores and they whack each other with sticks and what, what else do you want fuck you <laughs> <laughs> okay next one uh, next one from Jimmy he says uh, have any of the day trippers ever taken now I think he's got this uh, he says have any of the day trippers ever <laughs> I don't taken, think Jimmy knows you ever taken a selfie no 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 I don't think <laughs> have any of the day trippers ever taken a selfie and if so where and when and what's the best selfie you've ever just seen just go on to Trev down his feet <laughs> yeah. Trev I think a better question would be is there anywhere you haven't taken a selfie <laughs> I am a selfie wanker I'm quite, quite openly admit although Phil although Phil there are some lovely ones of you lately yeah but they're all in context yeah, <laughs> now, there's a bad L one in your day trip recite your avatar. Bad L picture. I don't know if it's a selfie. It's a bad L picture. Bad L picture. I got. I, I took. I put a selfie. I took one of me and my son actually when we we're in town, and I put it as you know my Twitter avatar, yeah. and I got about probably about ten tweets. Hey, put Potter stack back on. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, Phil. I just have to show you one thing, just for the benefit. <laughs> <laughs> That's gormless fit. <laughs> I wish I wish I could communicate how wonderful this picture is, but I can't. We'll so tweet it. We'll tweet it tonight. On we'll, 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 hang on, that isn't a selfie. It fucking is a selfie. You no. can just see the bottom of your hands. No, it's not. I'm, no, I'm that, tweeting it later on. That's live from Dutch television. Oh, shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> when, when, when I video bombed. <laughs> with no awareness, I was video bombing. I was about 14 points in at that stage. And about halfway through the video, I realised the camera's there. You can kind of see it in the eyes. Um, Chris wants to know if you're reincarnated, uh, what animal would you like to be and why? <laughs> Dave's throwing his hands up. What am I going to say here now? You're going to say a monkey with a knife. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just move it on. Move a bear. On. A move bear. On. Oh, you're, you're, I got to take on Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Pay per view. <laughs> You've already said a monkey with a knife would win. So let's put it to the test. Put it to the test. Get it on. Uh, John Ritchie um, asks us. If you had to spend the rest of your life in the desert island, which one would you take? If you, you have to take one of these guys for company, <laughs> <laughs> you can have Roy Hodgson, Paulson, or Air. Roy Hodgson. You're taking Roy. He'd be, he be dead soon. 
It's the rest of my life. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> hell! That's like, ruthless. Ian Aaron Paulson are going to live, what, at least another 20 years. Hodgson's got, what, two left in him? <laughs> <laughs> you should see how the World Cup campaign is what you're saying. Like, get on, yeah, right Perfect. <laughs> uh, right, next one is from Ryan Berger. Uh, and Ryan James asks you, he says, you're a hotshot fighter pilot. What is your call sign? And which LFC player would be your wingman? Oh, I haven't got an answer either. I just wanted to say before that my current pro- profile picture on Twitter is a selfie, and it's me in a black balaclava. So I'm not going to answer for that question, but I got one for the one before. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> well, don't worry, that works really well. I, mean, I don't know what, I don't know what my call sign would be really. Um, see, if, if he hadn't been so horrendous and then so kind of like unrepentant on Twitter after after the, the Palace fiasco, I'd have said Glenn Johnson. But I mean. I, you know, I can't think of a good... For your wingman? Uh, okay. Oh, well, actually, if, you, if you get a call sign, though, you want it to be something that like you know, people would be uncomfortable saying, like, cunty bollocks or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I go for... Red uh, leader to cunty bollocks. Red leader to cunty bollocks. <laughs> Tampon. <Wait. laughs> I go, call sign, childish little shit for brains. Um, <laughs> I go, wing, wingman flannel. <laughs> just... Just... just I, I'd, I'd, I'd have Ali Sissoko as my wingman. Why would you have Ali? For the crack. Just for the crack. He they, looks like he'd be great crack. He, he looks, if, if, I'm telling you, I'd rather have him on a desert island. You know, he hasn't a, he just looks like a fella who's just happy with everything. You know, wingman's supposed to be watching out for you when you're getting attacked by Migs. Yeah, but like, it'd be the crack. Ali, <laughs> Ali won't be there. Ali will be somewhere else. Ali will be looking out the window. <laughs> this is deadly. I'm in a plane. <laughs> I'm in a fire plane. <laughs> this is the best ever. What am I doing here? <laughs> I can see my house from here. Look at this. Is uh, there any planes there, Eddie? No idea. Another, no idea, tampon. Another, <laughs> no idea, tampon. <laughs> Let's ask Cunty Bollocks. Cunty Bollocks, what's the crack? No idea, no idea. Ask Childish Shit for brains. <laughs> uh, okay, right. Let's go on to the next one, which is also sort of Top Gun related. And it's again, it's from Floody. Floody's wondering if in Top Gun, could Maverick have done more? when he went into that spin that caused Goose's death. <laughs> I don't know enough about this fucking film to comment, so... Well, he should have killed himself as well, I guess what he should have done. Gone down in a blaze of glory with the old man, like, you know? Oh, of course, yeah. Or at the least, why thing. didn't he do went into Iceman? I mean, Iceman was acting the bollocks, wasn't he? He just kind of cut across and I, got caught in his jet wash. Don't pretend you haven't watched I, it, Trev. I don't right? know it. I don't know it. Because he wanted to blow him later. I, I mean, was, it is the gayest film of all time. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Who, me? No, you're not. All right, okay. <laughs> Top Gun is okay, like right, a homoerotic right. fantasy. It was so they say, yeah. 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 Again, I'm, I must watch I it. I love Top Gun. So oh, like. <laughs> I love Top Gun. <laughs> I love Top Gun. <laughs> Next one's from Lost Dog. Oh, God. There's only one person that's going to be able to answer this, and you don't even want to know about it. Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> Rio Ferdinand was treated. I wonder if he knew who was on <laughs> Rio Ferdinand was treated awfully by United in his exit. And he asked, can we have three cheers from the lads as a fuck off the boat? That went really well. Melty faced wank wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. Okay, we're going to finish with a couple from Paul Murray, who uh, I know uh, intended these for uh, last Saturday, uh, uh, the incident. Um, His first question is, would you rather not fuck a goat and have everyone think that you did, or fuck a goat, but no one will ever find out? (laughs) Listen, 
I seen a bloke get off with a dog on the way home from Liverpool, right? And so this doesn't phrase you at all. And it's just like, once you've seen that, I, 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 anything. Can we clarify for, the, for for our listeners that it's not? It was an actual dog. It was a dog. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, don't know, I wasn't alone in saying it. Like. Yeah, floody. Now is too. this a female goat of legal age? Like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, need, I, need, I need to know like, I, l- I like that you're weighing up this as yeah, an option. Um, I don't know man nobody will find out like. nobody will find out <laughs> <laughs> I thought I made some dodgy statements there. okay right the, the other part of Paul's double question is <coughs> would you rather watch Roy Hodgson and Susan Boyle have sex every day of your life <laughs> or join in just once and you can stop it forever but again, how long is Hodgson going to live? <laughs> <laughs> it's every day of my life. That, he's only got two years left, right? So you're gonna, you're you, just, you could probably yeah, sex him to death within five minutes or something. <laughs> and if he had the shag Susan Boyle, he'd probably kill himself. So I'd definitely let them But out. Dave, this could be Clockwork Orange strapped in a chair and watching a video of them over and over again. I can't think of much Oh, not live. It's not live. Well, no, there was no specification ah, geez, of live. I want my money back then if it's not live, like, you know. Fair enough, so you're out. Let's get back right. to the go. <laughs> 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 right, we'll wrap it up with that. Uh, we're very lucky to be joined for the last time in this kind of Liverpool season, at least, by a special guest, Roy Hodgson, who's going to give us his thoughts on England uh, and their progress and hopes for the summer, Roy. If you guys are to do very well in this camp in this World Cup campaign, it will be probably due to a lot of Liverpool players and the work done with them by Brendan Rodgers. Do you feel in any way beholden to your former club um, as things stand? Well, I think really, Trevor, you're asking me two questions there, aren't you? The first is uh, is uh, what influence will the Liverpool players and uh, have? on uh, England's prospects in the tournament and uh, what, what, what part of that is down to Brendan Rodgers? Well, first of all, I would say that uh, I think people have rather overlooked as he looked particularly the form of a player like Raheem Sterling in the latter stages of Liverpool's campaign. I think people have overlooked the fact that I was, in fact, the manager who gave him his debut at the club when he was 15 years old in a, a pre-season friendly against Bayer Leverkusen. So I think I would like to think that people would appreciate that, uh, that faith I showed in uh, Raheem as a youngster and... Uh, and uh, that, the role that that's played in his development since. And uh, in the second in part, answer the second part of your question, uh, do I feel beholden to Liverpool? Well, uh, no, uh, because I think um, ultimately, do I feel beholden to any of my former clubs? If I was going to, a, so I've been going to a tournament as manager of uh, of Sweden in the 1980s, would I feel beholden to uh, Helmstads or Malmo or Arebo? Or not particularly. When I was manager of Switzerland, by turn, did I feel? Beholden to Neuchatel Zamex, what I didn't. If I had I been manager of Italy, would I feel beholden to Udinese or any Internazionale players I pick? Well, no, I wouldn't. I think I'd just very much focus on the job at hand, and uh, it's really no more than coincidence, and uh, some of my own work, and perhaps some of that of Brendan Rodgers as well, that uh, there may perhaps be a number of Liverpool players in uh, my starting lineup for uh, for the group, the group matches in Manaus. Fair enough. Is there anything you can tell us that, in in relation to the day to day activities of the England squad, what they might be doing? Anything, any little extras that you might have planned for them, culturally even? Well, well there's been a lot of talk in the in the run up to recent tournaments about whether the players have been given too much to do or not enough. And uh, I know there was a lot of talk going into the last World Cup under Fabio Capello as to whether or not the players were rather too isolated. Well, that's not going to be an issue in this case. We're going to be staying in a pretty central location in Rio de Janeiro. But uh, another thing we've been we've been very keen to do, although a lot of players, uh, a lot of players these days, they they like to take their uh, their their playstations and their Xboxes and uh, 
and use their smartphones. One thing we've been very keen to take is uh, is uh, is Connect Four because Wayne Rooney, in fact, is a little known is is very much a big fan of Connect Four and uh, can become rather unhappy if he's not able to play Connect Four when he's away at a tournament. So that's that's one of the few stipulations we've had, and we've uh, we've spoke to with early age on people is to make sure that. Uh, there's not one but a couple of uh, sets to be able to play Connect Four in case anything happens to the first. Because uh, if uh, if Wayne hasn't got access to that, then that can affect his concentration on his game. Well, Roy, on that strategic bombshell, we shall leave it. Thank you very much. Very welcome as always, Trevor. Thank you. And finally, your day trippers tonight were James Owens, Paul Brennan, Dave Thomas, Phil Casey, and myself, Trev Downey. See you next week for part two. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.